Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. All right. Well, here we are again screaming towards Christmas. Can you believe it? I mean, I was in the shop the other day and Ashari gets all excited about Christmas and um, we're just walking in Myers and walking past Christmas trees. And she says, can we put our Christmas tree out? I said, didn't we just take it down? It seemed like just this year has gone so, so quickly. But what I want to do, I don't want to waste time tonight, so we'll get straight into it. But I want to have a look at a, a, an aspect of Jesus tonight that often um, gets overlooked. Jesus is the great person and um, many great people, I guess when we look at their lives, they're great people because as we look back, we recognise the impact or the outcome of their lives. And so you think about you know, who you would consider to be a great person. Maybe you know, if you think back in history, there are people like Alexander the Great who, who did some really significant things in the short time he had on this planet. Um, there are other great people, I guess people like Buddha, you know, religious figures, Muhammad. Um, you know, more recently, I guess you could say people like Abraham Lincoln, Winston Churchill, Mitchell Johnson, uh, <laughs> maybe not Mitchell, Justin Bieber. <laughs> the point is, you know, we look at people's lives and, and we, we look back at what they've done and I guess we make an estimation on, on how great they were and people become famous on the basis of what they've done. And that is certainly true with the life of Jesus. We look back on his life and there are so many things that he achieved in his life that he certainly fits the bill like all of those other great people in history. But I think there's a significant difference when we look at the life of Jesus. You see, when people write about Jesus, while they tell us some of the things he did, they're not just talking about the things he did, but they're actually trying to help us see that what he did was actually the fulfilment of things that were written before he actually did them. And so it's not just about looking back at the life of Jesus, but if, you look at the, if we see Jesus in, in the context of history, there was actually a whole period of time when people were looking forward to him before he even got here. And so I want to have a bit of a look at that tonight. Okay, my uh, sermon title, if you want one, is called Jesus, Mistaken Identity or Messiah. Jesus, Mistaken Identity or Messiah. And so I want to have a look at some of the, I guess, some of the prophecies around Jesus' life. Um, and I want to perhaps have, if I get the opportunity in time tonight, I want to have a look at some of the questions that people have um, pertaining to those prophecies and, and hopefully just have a bit of a look at that. Okay, now you might be saying already, well, what, what's a prophecy? I, most people would know, but just in case you don't, a prophecy really is just a prediction pertaining to the future. Okay, and if, if you don't know this, the Bible has many, many, many prophecies written throughout. There's many predictive things written in the Bible. Some of those predictive things are yet to happen, okay? So they're predictive even now for the future, but many of them were predictive when they were written, but they've actually been fulfilled um, as we look back at history now, okay? So that makes sense to you? Well, the Bible says a lot about prophecy. It tells us we're not to treat it with contempt. It tells us how to identify true prophets and false prophets. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 21, 22 says, it's easy to tell us a, a true prophet because what they say will happen. If, if, if what they're saying doesn't happen, don't worry about those people. It doesn't matter how many threats and curses they threaten to call down. If, if it doesn't happen, don't worry about them, okay? But the fact is that there is so much that has happened in the Bible that we really should sit up and take notice when it comes to biblical prophecy. 
The second thing I want to just define quickly is this, this word I've already mentioned tonight, Messiah. Okay, Messiah is a, is a Hebrew word, not exactly said like that, um, but I got such a, everyone laughed me out of the park last time I mentioned it, tried to say something with a different accent, I'm not even going to try that tonight. Um, but, you know, the, the Greek interpretation or, or translation of Messiah is simply Christ. Okay, and both those things simply mean cho- chosen one. Okay, so um, biblical prophecy encompasses a whole bunch of events and people. But right throughout the Bible, there's this particular strand of prophecy that relates to this anticipated personality who is going to come on the scene. Okay, this person who the Jews knew as the Messiah. And they were looking forward to God's chosen one coming. And there are some things, some prophecies that you'd kind of expect when it comes to a chosen one. I mean, you'd expect the chosen one to be a kind of a special sort of person and would do something pretty exciting and, and helpful. And so much of the prophecy is about that. Um, you know, there's this expectation, there's going to be this king who will come. And this king will be a conquering king. And this king will judge justly. This king will overcome enemies and he will judge not just um, for himself, but he will judge and, and rule for his people, for the benefit of his people. And all of those things, I guess, you would, you would understand that they would be the sort of things you'd expect of, of someone that people are looking forward to. But there's also some other prophecies about Jesus that are a little bit harder, particularly the Jews found them very hard to get their heads around. Because if you, uh, as they were quite into their prophecy and quite understood which prophecies pertain to the Messiah, but there are some unusual things that it said. You know, for example, you know, it was quite clear that this, this Messiah, this chosen one of God, would be of human descent. But at the same time, it seems to indicate that he's actually God as well. And so that was a little bit hard to get their head around. Not only that, but there's a whole lot of prophecy, you know, messianic prophecy that talks about suffering and even death of this great king who is going to come and conquer. And so that was really, really difficult to understand. And then on top of that, it talks about he's, not, you know, he's actually doing that on behalf of his people. And beyond that, His people didn't just include the Jews, but his people, God was actually wanting to do this on behalf of all people. And so the Jews, as you can imagine, they're faced with all this prophecy and in true human fashion, they kind of gravitated towards the things that sounded good and were easier to understand and neglected the things that were not so easy to understand. And so by the time Jesus was coming onto the scene, you know, there was a definite expectation about this Messiah that was coming. And so, you know, that Israel had, had, had copped a lot over the years and just because of its location, it was, it was right in the middle of where all the conflicts often happened. You know, if someone was travelling from east to west to have a battle, they'd go straight through Israel. If someone's going from west to east, straight through, they're going north to south. So Israel was kind of right in the thick of it all and they copped heaps from the nations that were around about them. In this particular time when Jesus was born, the Romans were in control. And so every now and then what would happen is some guys would get sick of, of Roman oppression and so they would rebel against the Romans and they would get some together, guys together and maybe kill a few soldiers and they'd get a bit of a reputation as a rebel and the question would go, oh, is this the Messiah? Is this going to be the one who's going to kick the Romans out and is going to establish Israel as the leader, as a nation that's going to rule the world? And that was the anticipation And so that's kind of like the climate that Jesus was born into. There was this expectation around this figure, the Messiah, that he was going to rule, he was going to reign, he was going to be an all-conquering king that was going to put down their enemies on their behalf. 
So that was what they were coming into. I want to read um, a passage of Scripture this, this evening from Matthew chapter 2. Verses 1 to 12, it's a passage that many of you will be familiar with. Even if you've never read a Bible, you'll be familiar with it because of Christmas carols and Christmas cards. And the moment I start to read it, you'll probably even some imagery will begin to pop into your head um, as I start to read. And so reading from Matthew, Matthew wrote um, specifically to the Jews. Okay, there are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and each of them had a specific target audience, if you like. They, were trying to, they had a purpose with their writing. And Matthew's purpose in writing was to try and help the Jews to understand that Jesus actually was their Messiah, even though he didn't measure up to their expectations, that he actually was the Messiah whom they'd been waiting for. And um, <clears throat> so when you're reading Matthew, you'll notice that he continually says things like, you know, this, was, um, this happened to fulfill what was written in, by the prophet Isaiah, or etc. So there's always this, he's referring back, he's just trying to, all the events of Jesus' life and where they intersect with prophecy, Matthew brings that to light because he's writing to a people who are interested in prophecy. All right? And so, reading from uh, chapter 2, verse 1, it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, uh, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who is born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. So you got those Christmas cards, images in your head right now, you know, the, the three wise men across the desert on their camels with their gifts, yeah? Okay, the Bible doesn't say that, does it? <laughs> it's interesting, you know, that, that's the image of this particular season, but, you know, it doesn't actually mention that there were three men. Um, it does mention later on that there were three gifts, frankincense, in, uh, uh, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Um, but it doesn't say that there were just three. It doesn't even say anything about camels. In fact, in all likelihood, these guys were probably riding horses. Um, they weren't kings. You know, these, these, we, we three kings, you know the song? It doesn't say that they were kings either. It says that they were, they were magi. And these guys, this particular term, referred to like a priestly tribe from the Medes. Have you ever heard of the Medes and the Persians in history? Okay, so, um, so these were the, like the Levites were the, the priestly tribe amongst the Israelites, okay, the people of Israel. And so the Medes were this, this priestly group of people. They were into like astrology and astronomy, stargazing and, and kind of blending um, a bit of superstition and, and you know, uh, science and all that sort of thing. So that was kind of what they did. And... Um, um, like I said, they came across from the east, and in other words, from Babylonia. Okay, and so these group of guys are interesting because we actually read about them previously in the Bible. Okay, 600 years, not these particular ones, okay, but their ancestors in all likelihood, all right? So we've got this group of people that, that are not Jews, but they've got an interest in finding the king of the Jews, and they've come from the east. And so it raises to me, why? Well, I just want to take you back 600 years. There was a guy in the Bible, he's even got a book named after him, called Daniel. Okay, this guy, Daniel, um, was taken um, into captivity. Israel had, had been in rebellion against God for some time. And, and finally, you know, God did all that God said would happen if they were rebelling against God, it happened. And initially, the northern tribes were taken away into captivity. And then the southern tribes ended up in Babylon. And one of the guys that ended up there was this young guy called a really godly young man named Daniel. Okay, and so Daniel um, 
is quite famous because of his ability under God to be able to interpret dreams and as a prophet. And in fact, his ability and, and some of the things that he was involved in were so, so amazing that the king at the time made him or put him in charge of all of the other wise men, priests, godly types, um, pseudo-scientists or whatever. You know, he put them in charge of all those people. Okay, so we've got this guy, Daniel, this man of Jewish, Jewish heritage who was aware fully of the uh, prophetic tradition of the Jews and he himself was a prophet. So he, he knew about the prophecies of Isaiah and he knew about Micah and all these other people that had spoken about this coming Messiah and he himself on several occasions had amazing revelations of what was to come into the future. And some of those things spoke about, you know, the, the, the empires that were going to continue in, in that, that part of the world. It went from a Babylonian empire to the empire of the Medes and Persians to the empire of the Greeks, which was split up, and then to the Roman Empire. And he prophesied all of that. But one of the things he also did was prophesied the timing of when the Messiah would arrive. Okay, and so his 70-week prophecy talks about that in Daniel chapter 9. And so you've got this guy, this, this, this priest, this prophet, who was in charge of all the other wise men and priestly types in Babylon. And no doubt he's, he's talking to them and telling them about the prophecies because he understands that this isn't just something that's just to be for the Jews, but it's actually something that's, that has worldwide impact. And so we've got this amazing situation where 600 years later, we've got these guys whose, in all likelihood, their ancestors had actually sat under the leadership and teaching of Daniel. And somewhere in their traditions, they, they, somewhere on, it's like the alarm clock went off. Whether it was because of just being diligent in terms of keeping a record of the prophecies and the times, or whether God intervened through a dream or a revelation. But somehow, these guys, and, and obviously the Bible talks about the star as well, but God begins to draw these people and let them know that something significant is happening. And so these guys up and move across, probably you know, hundreds, if not a thousand kilometres across, to come and seek out this king of the Jews. That's pretty amazing, don't you think? There's this expectation that is there for this king of the Jews. So they rock up at um, Herod's and Herod is freaking out because they've come to his palace, which would be a logical place to rock up when you think about, you know, we want to see the king of the Jews who's just been born. Okay, we'll go to the palace, he'll be there. Herod goes, uh, we haven't had any kids around here for a little while. He was quite an old man and uh, he'd actually killed off a lot of people in his family because he was so jealous and so tight-fisted with regards to this, this, this kingship of his. And um, he'd actually been given, literally, the title, the king of the Jews by the Caesar of the day, Caesar Augustus. And so he was, he was panicking because even though he was a, a, a bloodthirsty murderer of a person, he was Jewish enough or had enough of an understanding that there was this Messiah that had been prophesied in the past. And so he's panicking. The people of Israel are panicking because again, it probably wasn't in all likelihood just three guys that rocked up out of the blue on their camels, but it was probably more likely a caravan or a, or a, a diplomatic um, group that rocked up, possibly even looking something like an army because you can just imagine how susceptible to being robbed and, and beaten up would be three guys wandering across the desert, you know, holding all their gold and all their gifts. So... <laughs> So, so the Jews, uh, the, the, Jerusalem is a little bit, you know, they're thinking, oh no, we've got these guys from the east, we're under the leadership of the west, what's happening? They're looking for a king. This is very, you know, tense. 
Because again, we know what happens when people from the east and the west start fighting. We're in the thick of it. Okay, so it was, a, it, was a, it was a season, it says all Jerusalem with Herod was disturbed at the sight of these people who had coming. <clears throat> Verse four, it says, when he had called together all the people's chief priests, this is Herod, um, and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. And so even this wicked Herod knew about the Christ, as I mentioned. Straight away they come back, or after this, this people have been gathered, it says, in Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. They refer to the prophet Micah. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from the exact time that the star that they were following had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, Report to me so that I too may go and worship him. By worship, he means cut his head off, all right? Um, <laughs> but it's a remarkable fact that they can go straight to this prophetic body of literature and, and know where to find the birth place of this Messiah. It shows that they took the preservation and the study of prophecy very, very seriously. Again, they had a, a history of prophetic fulfilment, the Jews. Okay, the Israelites. So they did take it very, very seriously. And this particular prophecy that they went to had actually been written about 700 years before the birth of Jesus. Okay, so we're talking, you know, generation after generation after generation after generation after generation after generation after generation, and nothing. 700 years later, this event takes place. This is amazing level of prophecy here. This is not just like, oh, I think it's going to be sunny tomorrow. <laughs> you know, give your best. You know, when we're talking about expectation, I mean, you know, all of us were expected to some degree, usually for about nine months, maybe a little bit less. Um, you know, maybe some of us were expected, you know, we were, our, our mothers were, you know, looking forward to having kids since they were little kids themselves. So maybe we've been expected maybe for 10 or 20 years before we arrive on the scene. But this Messiah had been expected for centuries, if not thousands of years previously to that. After they had heard the king, this is the Magi, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. This star is a little bit mysterious. Um, you know, we don't know exactly what the star was. Okay, we don't know whether it was literally a star. That's probably unlikely. We don't know if it was a, you know, two planets sort of coming in and creating a certain brightness like they do. Um, There's probably not that either. It could be a comet maybe, but again, not, we're not sure about that. It could be an angel holding an LED torch. Um, that, that's possible. I mean, to me, you know, a, a torch in the distance and a star, they look the same. Uh, <laughs> you know, one's just a long way away, very bright, and one's a little bit closer, not quite so bright, but they look the same. Long and short of it is that God uses this, this light to guide these people to where Jesus actually was. Okay, so don't get too wrapped up about that. When they saw the star and, and it sort of had come and rested over the place where Jesus was, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child and his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with the gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And so we see here that just simply the discovery of this, this child, King of the Jews. It just filled them with a sense of adoration and, and drew out of them an offering. 
which I think is a totally appropriate response to any person who discovers Jesus. A sense of adoration and a sense of, I want to give to this great king. Verse 12, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So basically these magi, they had seen the king of the Jews. They left satisfied. Obviously they were convinced. There was the events of this and the prophecy, it it was all enough for them. They didn't just get there and say, what? Some little scrubber in a manger, what? (laughs) You know, like... This isn't what we came for. This is, this, is, this is ridiculous. I'm out of here. No, they stopped. They worshipped. They gave gifts. Even though there was nothing physically um, speaking that would suggest that this was the king of the Jews. He wasn't in a um, palace when they found him. Okay, it was probably, you know, it wasn't just after he was born. Probably wasn't in a manger. But he would have been probably one or two at this particular point in time. Um, living in very humble surroundings. But nonetheless, they worshipped. They left their gifts and they went on their way. So what about us living today? Because these guys were convinced. They were satisfied with what they found. But I guess the question for us today is, look, that's a lovely story, and we all love to celebrate Christmas, and it you know, gives us all a nice little warm feeling when we hear Christmas carols maybe in the shops, and we like to you know, think about peace on earth and goodwill to all men and all that. So, but for a lot of people, it just stops there. It's just like, it, it might, we might as well be talking about Jack and the Beanstalk or, you know, any other just story. Um, but is there more to it than that? Have we grown past this story? Were those guys just naive and easily persuaded because they lived in a non-technological age and they believed in all sorts of mysticism? And were they misled? Were they mistaken? about Jesus' identity? Or has the investigation that's been put in since, has it actually strengthened the case for Jesus as Messiah? And that's what I have a quick look at tonight. Okay, so I'm going to quickly rip through some. What I'm not here to do tonight is to give you a whole list of every Bible verse that you can go away and look for. So I'm, I'm trusting that you guys are big enough and mature enough to go away and check what I've got to say for yourselves. You know, you've got Bibles, you've got the internet at your fingertips. You can, you can check what I'm saying tonight, okay? But I'm just going to do a bit of a shotgun blast and hopefully encourage you that this is not just some accident here. This is not a case of mistaken identity. That, that, uh, and we are mistaken to think that Jesus is the Messiah. But by the time I've finished, you'll actually say, wow, that is incredible. Jesus cannot be anything else but the Messiah. All right, so... Looking briefly at this, the scope of prophecy, the prophecy about Jesus in the Bible begins in the broadest possible terms, right at the start. And it just simply talks about that God is going to intervene in human history and that, that this, this chosen one, doesn't even use the term Messiah, but is going to be born of a woman. So going to be a member of the human race. Well, that's pretty broad. Okay, but then as, as time goes on, and as God reveals himself to different people, the, the picture sort of snaps into focus more and more and more as time goes by. And so later on, we see a guy called Abraham come on the scene and, and, and the prophecy, uh, God speaks to Abraham and says, look, through you, through your seed, the earth will be blessed. 
And so we kind of see a narrowing down now. It, it, it excludes those that are not a part initially of, of Abraham's family. So it's going to be in Abraham's lineage. Abraham has a son called Isaac. And again, the Bible affirms that it's going to be through this particular part of his family that this, prophet, uh, that this Messiah will come. He also has a son called Jacob, who ultimately becomes the man called Israel. Okay, and he has, and so it's going to be through his line. He has 12 sons, okay, 12 tribes, if you will, um, they become. And so it talks about one particular branch of this nation is going to have this Messiah as a part of it. And it talks about Judah. Later on, it talks about it's going to be a member of a man's family whose name is Jesse. Jesse happens to be David's father. It talks about that he's going to be a descendant of David, King David, who, you know, he's famous for, for putting a stone in a big guy's head. And, uh, <laughs> okay, so you can see that these things are narrowing down, narrowing down, narrowing down, and, and discounting a whole bunch of things along the way. Then there's some really, really amazing stuff because it talks about in Isaiah chapter 7, it says not only is he going to be in this particular family line, but this is going to freak you out, but he's going to be born of a virgin. He's going to be born of a virgin. He is not going to be born, he's going to be born the natural way, but he's not going to be conceived the natural way. And so, again, that, that is mind-blowing, but it, but it does help us to understand suddenly that, that, that Jesus is actually, you know, he's, he's fully man, but somehow God's intervened, and so it's right to call him man, but it's also right to call him God. And so we understand prophetically that, that Jesus is going to be a God-man, which is totally important in terms of salvation theology, okay, which I'm not going to talk about tonight. As I mentioned before, Daniel narrowed down the time frame as to when Jesus was going to come. So there's a whole bunch of things being excluded along the way and, and this, this, this focus is honing in as to this momentous event, the arrival on the planet of this Messiah. There's a whole bunch of things that are spoken about this Messiah. And again, I want you to go back later on and have a look and see that, that Jesus fulfills these things. The nature of his ministry we read about a man who is going to heal the sick, restore the sight of the blind, open the ears of the deaf. Deaf. We see that Jesus did that. It talks about the nature of his suffering. It's so specific. Uh, Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53, they're so specific in terms of the nature of the suffering of Jesus leading up to it and on the cross. It talks about his sacrificial death, as I've mentioned. It talks about the outcome of his life and of his death. It talks about the, the gates of heaven, if you like, being thrown open and salvation being offered to all because of what this man did. On the last 24 hours of his life, there were 29 prophecies that had been written hundreds of years before. And the Bible had actually, the Old Testament had actually been fi finished being written over 400 years before Jesus came on the scene. Okay? And so, um, hundreds of years ago, these prophecies were written by different prophets as well. And yet, on the last 24 hours of Jesus' life, 29 of them come together bang, 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 fulfilled, 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 fulfilled. Spoke about, you know, th that his hands and his feet would be pierced. Spoke about that his, he would be. Pierced by a, by a spear. 
talks about the fact that he's going to be betrayed by a friend, talks about the fact it's going to be done for 30 pieces of silver, and so on and so forth. There's so many things that sort of happen one after the other. It's absolutely impossible that these things could happen by coincidence, as some people would like to perhaps assume. And I guess most amazingly of all, the resurrection. He will not let his Holy One see decay. Psalm 16 talks about the resurrection. And Jesus prophesied himself and the Old Testament, backing up Old Testament prophecies, but his soon coming return. The part that has not yet been fulfilled, the part that is still future for us. Much of prophecy, as I said, has been fulfilled, but there is some really, really key and exciting stuff that we're still waiting to see the fulfilment of. So as I mentioned, some people have some objections. And again, that's just a shotgun spray of some of the things that it speaks about with regards to Jesus. But some people think, well, okay, if Jesus knew the prophecies, didn't he actually go about just trying to fulfil them? And certainly Jesus does send the guys to go and get a donkey so they could enter Jerusalem on a donkey. So there's a sense in which Jesus, I'm sure, did go about to actually um, intentionally fulfil some of the prophecies. Because he was very self-aware. He knew that he was the Messiah. He spoke about, you know, these, these, these scriptures that you study that you might have eternal life, they speak about me. In um, Luke chapter 24, on the road to Emmaus, after his resurrection, he's talking to the disciples, talking to the two guys who are walking along a bit despondent, because haven't you heard about what's been happening around here? And Jesus just listens and talks along the way, and, and eventually they have a revelation of who he is. He says he sits them down, he talks to them. And he takes them through and shows them where the scriptures refer to him. And so, yes, some of the prophecies Jesus probably did set out to fulfill. But there are just too many prophecies that he could not have fulfilled himself. You cannot determine your heritage. You cannot determine your family line as much as you might like to. Change it if you could. <laughs> You can't, that, that's predetermined, that's going to happen. Again, as much as some people might like to think that somehow Jesus slipped a few coins to the Romans and said, okay, can you please, when you kill me, make sure it happens this way. Couple of nails here, couple of nails there, spear in the side, make sure you don't break my legs, please. It's crazy. <laughs> These are all things that were well and truly beyond Jesus' control, but were prophesied hundreds of years ago and were fulfilled to the letter. And again, doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter who you've got on your side, there's no way you can stage a resurrection. And that's another topic totally. I'm not even going to start to go there. Okay, so Jesus may well have orchestrated the fulfilment of some of the prophecies, but it is, it is not a, a clever thing to suggest that he tried to orchestrate all 300 or so of the prophecies that specifically relate to his life. Is it possible that the prophecies were written after his event and sort of backdated, or, you know, like Jesus' life was seen and then suddenly we go back and just make some... No, as I said, the Old Testament was finished 400 years, more than 400 years before Jesus even came on the scene. It had actually been retranslated into Greek 250 years or so before Jesus on the scene. Okay, there was a lot of scripture around. You couldn't get away with just quickly changing it up a little bit after the event. All right? Um, is it possible that people doctored the record of Jesus' life to make it 
looked like it suited the prophecies. Again, that's fine, you can say that. But it's not consistent with the evidence at hand. It's not consistent. You've got to find someone who would actually want to do that. You've got to find someone who would benefit from that. And, and we all know, as we've heard even from this pulpit not too long ago, that people didn't benefit in those early years of Christianity. It cost people greatly to be a follower of Jesus. And people don't die for a lie. They may die for something they think is true, but people don't die for a lie. When the pressure gets on, you say, sorry guys, just kidding. <laughs> and you get out of there and you go to Rome or you go somewhere else, but you don't hang around and die and, watch your, and be prepared to see your family die for something you know is a lie. Aren't some of the prophecies a little bit obscure? Well, certainly. You know, the nature of prophetic writing is just that. It's not necessarily all spelt out. And so we find bits and pieces of Jesus, of prophecies that actually pertain to Jesus, but we don't actually know they pertain to Jesus or the Messiah until after the event. It's actually with the benefit of hindsight that we're able to go back and understand that those things which seemed like, how do they fit into the jigsaw puzzle? We only actually know they fit in the jigsaw puzzle once we see the rest of the jigsaw puzzle of Jesus' life. And we say, okay, and plus, as I mentioned before in Luke chapter 24, Jesus actually went and helped unpack it for the disciples and went through and told them where the Scriptures actually referred to him. All right. <clears throat> Some would say, well, if the Jews were so Messiah conscious, why did they reject Jesus? Well, the fact is, some rejected him, but many actually accepted him. Those that, accept, that rejected him, again, we need to ask, why did they reject him? Was it because they were absolutely convinced that he wasn't the Messiah? Well, certainly, like I said, they, they had a certain mindset as to what the Messiah would look like, and Jesus didn't fit that bill. They had the idea of this conquering king. They didn't want this, this, this suffering, wimpy guy who let people walk all over him. That's, that's not what we're about. And so, yes, initially, I guess they were disappointed, but we see that there were some who, who did know better and, and did press in, guys like Nicodemus, and, and they were willing to press in and find out who Jesus really was. And they changed the course of their life. They weren't concerned about their reputation. They weren't concerned about their position in society. They weren't concerned about anything else other than getting to the truth of the matter. And so many accepted Jesus as the Messiah and then went on to change the world in which they live, but not only so, they actually changed the world in which we live today. Jesus, a case of mistaken identity, or the Messiah, all of the evidence, if you are willing to look, is in favour of Jesus actually being the Messiah, not just a case of mistaken identity. There has been no one like Jesus in history, in human history prior to him. There has been no one like Jesus in human history after him. Many have come, many have made bold claims, many even today there are people living in Australia who claim to be the Messiah. There's some easy ways to test that. They're probably illegal, all right? Uh, <laughs> okay, there's been many prophecies out there, but again, not of the, the, the far-reaching implications of, of this prophecy. These prophecies encompass the whole world. They affect all people everywhere. And so just... As we finish, I just want to ask a few questions, leave with a few things to consider. If God can reach into the lives of some Eastern astrologers who are living 600 years after the prophet Daniel, 
was talking to their ancestors. And if he can somehow direct them with the star, he can reach anybody with anything. And I think we should keep that in mind based on the season that we're in right now. Tone's spoken about bringing people in this Christmas season. You know, God is already at work in the lives of people around about us. You know, I was just thinking about some of the ways that people have come to church recently. There are just so many ways that God is using to bring people to church. Some is just simply curiosity. Others, it might be a death or a health scare or having a baby or just an invitation. There are so many ways that God is breaking into people's lives. Some it is, you know, miraculous intervention, divine intervention in their situations and circumstances. But God is already out there amongst your family and amongst your friends and possibly even you're here tonight because he's been at work in your life as well. No person is too far removed from God's influence. He loves every person on the face of this planet and is, and is willing them to come to him. So how's he reaching to you right now? Whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, stop and take some time to think on how is God reaching out to me right now? Or maybe who is God reaching out to around me right now? The second thing I want you to think about is this, that if the Jews, with all that they knew, could miss it, so could we if we're not careful. And so I want us to think about what is it in our life that may cause us, what is it in our, perhaps an agenda that we have that could cause us to miss the day of our visitation, the day when God has revealed to us? Let's not be too busy. Let's not be too proud. Let's not be too distracted. Let's not be too caught up in the things of this world that we miss what God is only want, uh, wanting us to understand and receive. The third thing is that the Magi, when they came to Jesus and they found him, they responded with worship and they responded with offerings. And as I've mentioned before, it is just a totally appropriate response when we find this Christ that worship and generosity and giving should be a part of just that natural response. And my question to us in closing tonight is really, is our response tonight and ongoing, is it a fitting response for a king? Not just any king, but the king of the world, the king of the universe, the one who is going to come back and put things right, who will judge justly and who will rule righteously on behalf of his people and for his people. You know, that's the essence of Christmas really, isn't it? It's about generosity or appreciation rather that, that just results in generosity. Freely we've received, freely we give. You know, those magi, they bought those presents to Jesus and that's, I guess that's the original Christmas present. Not, not Santa Claus. I mean, Santa Claus, obviously, St. Nicholas, great guy and all that. But, you know, we can miss the point if we're not careful. And so I want us, this Christmas, to take time to reflect on the glory of this King. yes amazing things he did. But even more amazing to think that, you know, if, if, this, if this is the start of humanity, that God has been unveiling his plans and purposes to that pulpit, which might be, that, that's the particular place in history where Jesus was born and lived 
and died and rose again and ascended into heaven. And so Jesus was pointing people forward, 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 fulfillment. And today we're looking back, 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 and there'll be a greater fulfillment as Jesus comes. That is worthy of all that we have. When we recognise that this is the God we serve. Other people, great. You know, some amazing inventions have happened. Some amazing battles have been won. Some amazing nations have been built and established. You know, all of that, some amazing songs sung, if that's, you know, what greatness is for you. Um, but none compared to who Jesus is, to what Jesus has done and to what Jesus is going to do. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au.